Hey, you know, every team uh, seems to have its own victory uh, chant. I know that um, for those of you who are soccer fans, U.S. men's national team, it is, I believe that we will win. I believe, except they drag it out. I I know that Alabama has one, but I don't think we can do it in church. Um, um, I I haven't heard Auburn's in so long. Caleb, do they have one? just kind of <laughs> just thought I, I asked the Auburn fans if they had a victory chant at all. <laughs> That's cold, I know. Yeah, War Eagle. <laughs> Ours is this. He is risen. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Everything. We have victory. But the question that has to come up at some point is, if we're having victory, that means we're defeating something. We're defeating something or someone. So what is it that we have victory in? Where are we winning, if indeed we're winning? I believe that one of the things that Easter, if we're really focus in, let me just say this, I've been doing 30 years of Palm Sunday Easter sermons. It's hard for me to think of something new about the cross, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that maybe you haven't heard before. But what you have heard may or may not have really altered Not only the course of your life, but your every moment of every day to know that you can live in hope and not defeat. You can live in victory. You don't have to live in a defeated, hopeless, broken state. And I'm hoping today that that's what we'll see together. And so I'm asking you to kind of open your ears to hear afresh and anew the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grace of God in your life. In the book of Corinthians, and we're going to look at this one passage from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 50, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, all the verses will be on the screen for those of you who are new uh, to fullness. we'll, We'll put the words on the screen for the verses as well. 1 Corinthians 15 is a long chapter, and it's all about the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection. Paul starts off by talking about Jesus' resurrection as if he's recounting Easter Sunday. He talks about its implications for us as believers. He talks about the second coming and the resurrection of the dead um, and how really it's all about Jesus' resurrection and how it changes not only It's not only a historical fact, but it's a present reality, and it's a future hope. It's all in the resurrection. And he kind of closes it out by saying this in verse 50 through 57. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery We will not all sleep. By the way, sleep is a euphemism for death. But we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want us to see today. First point is this, that we're all, we're all broken. Every single one of you, every single one of us is broken. This, is, uh, this can be a challenging truth for us to realize that we're broken, but here's what Paul says in this passage. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that the flesh and blood that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, that's you, perishable, inherit the imperishable. Because of sin, we're broken. Because of sin, death entered the world. And many times we don't really want to think about this truth that we're all facing death. And you're like, oh, this really wasn't what I want to hear on Easter morning, Pastor. But I think it's the truth that we have to at times look at. Death is our destiny. But death is not our final destiny. But we are broken. We are perishable. It's always interesting to me to hear children's views on different topics. Children's view on death. Um, Gilda, age 8, says, when you die, they put you in a box, bury you in the ground because you don't look so good probably pretty accurate. Doctors, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bills. I don't know. Sorry, docs. Marsha, age nine, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. Raymond, age 10, a good doctor can help you so that you won't die, and a bad doctor sends you to heaven. <laughs> this past week, I was uh, talking to my daughter, who is actually in med school, and she's doing a rotation of um, learning about uh, cardio stuff. I don't know. Cardio stuff. And um, heart, I understand. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> that much I do know. <laughs> My ignorance only extends so far, but it does extend that far. Um, anyway, she was in this lab, and she said they had to go around and identify 20 different hearts in this room. I'd be passed out by heart number two, looking at a heart in a jar. Um, but these hearts, everybody had died of something different, and their hearts uh, displayed whatever it was that they died of. And she came back to, to me and said this, it's really easy to die. I'm like, that's what you came away with? She goes, there are lots of ways, and it's really easy to die. Yes. And you know what? Our heart reveals the cause of our death in so many ways. 
spiritually. It is what has occurred when sin entered the world. That's why Solomon said this, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. There's something about going to a funeral that makes you realize every single one of us is perishable. That we're broken. And we need, we need God. You know, sin entered the world, and you may think, well, maybe it's not me. Maybe that's not my problem. Nope, it's your problem, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, Paul says, that sin, it, it, it caused, there's a sting in death because of sin. The wages of sin is death. You know these passages so well. Here's, here's the, the idea this morning. We are broken. Without Jesus, we're broken. And you can't fix yourself. In our brokenness, we cannot fix ourselves. Here's, here's again what Paul says. Uh, he says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It's a funny phrase, the power of sin is the law, because the law is good. God gave the law, and it is good. The problem is, with the law, we can't do it. We, if we could do the law, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. The problem is we're so broken that we take something good and we make it bad. Let me say that again. We're so broken. We take something good and we make it bad. Um, the leading hiking magazine in Great Britain is called Trail. Uh, they give out different instructions on uh, different hikes. And so a couple of years ago, they, gave a, they had a special issue on hiking the trails of Scotland, especially in bad weather. And there's a mountain uh, named Ben Nevis. It's about, I don't know, 4,400 feet tall. And um, what happened was, if you followed their instructions, uh, you walked off a 4,400-foot cliff <laughs> because they forgot the first two bearings. If you started where they said to start and followed their instructions, boom, you're off the cliff. Listen, it's really important to get your bearings right. It's really important to know where you're headed. It's really important to know where you are in order to get where you're headed. Some of us in this room today are headed off a cliff. We're like those lemmings or whatever, those little animals that just run off the cliff after each other. We think we're going in the right direction, but, but we're not. Because we're trying to fix ourselves, and you can't, you can't do it. Again, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. I'm giving you a little preview of where we're headed. Paul has, for three chapters in the book of Romans, made it clear all have sinned. I mean, he's gone through every different scenario to let you know that you're a sinner. And you stand without excuse before God because he's revealed himself to you through nature or conscience or through the word he's given. You're, everyone is without excuse in some manner. And Paul has made it clear that all of your works are like filthy rags. They're no good. You, the best you can do is a filthy rag. You may think, my rag is not as filthy as their rag, but your rag is still filthy. 
and you have no place to stand. But God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. One of the leading rock bands of the last, I don't know, 40 years really is U2, um, Bono, The Edge. Um, I think that's all the members I can name. <laughs> Bono and The Edge. Um, Larry Mullen Jr.? How am I doing? Somebody help me. Do y'all not know U2? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> That's the best I can do. Anyway, Bono, the lead singer for U2, is a believer, as is The Edge, and um, at least one other member of the band. And um, he writes in a book uh, called Bono on Bono. He was, it's a series of in, uh, interviews. He says this, It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. He goes on to say this. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. You get what you give kind of thing. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Anybody with me? He closes it by saying this, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. And so would you. Because if we got what we deserved, we would receive death. Karma stands at the center of almost every single major religion in the world, though it may be called something different. But we stand firmly on the grace of God. And grace is not only wonderful, grace is also mind-blowing. Grace is also uh, so unbelievable, it's almost scandalous. We receive restoration not through anything we've done, we, see, we receive restoration through Jesus' resurrection. And that's why we're here today. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You're broken. You know you're broken. You're headed to death. You can't fix yourself. But Jesus can. He can restore hope. He can restore life. He can restore destiny. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. I'm going to read this passage. I'm not commenting on it a lot. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Right? We were dead. Just look to the person next to you and say, You were dead. Let, go ahead. Tell them. You're dead. I know that's, a, that's an uplifting message in it today. 
Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. All right, look, I'm going to keep reading this passage, but here's the key point. Dead things can't make themselves alive again. Just doesn't happen. But God makes dead things alive. He can call life, breathe life into that which has no life, including you. And the way you receive it is not by anything you do, not by anything you've earned. It comes by grace. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. You know, I, really, you should underline this verse in your Bible. There is nothing to compare to the grace of God. It's incomparable. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'm trying to make it clear. And Paul is tying the resurrection of Jesus to your resurrection, your spiritual life. Apart from God, dead. You're dead in your transgressions. You know this. This is basic Christianity 101, right? You're dead in your transgressions and sins. But God, not because of what anything you did, not because anything you will do, he's made you alive. You have life. You've been restored through the... That's the message of the day. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, well, that's great. I hope somebody here needs this kind of thing. Like, I hope somebody who doesn't know Jesus will come to know Jesus. Yes, I do too. If you don't know, if you're not in a relationship with the living God, I pray that you know that it's only through Jesus that you can be made alive. But for those of you who are believers as well today, here's my, here's my statement to you. You are alive. You have hope. You have victory. Paul goes on and says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the men, when I was young, I, I admired was my, my dad's older brother, my uncle. He was an attorney in Atlanta, Georgia. He was prosperous. He was charismatic. I don't mean charismatic spiritually. I mean charismatic in his personality type. He and my dad were raised in a very, very poor setting in South Georgia, born in the late 20s, early 30s. Uh, I've circled him, but I don't know if you, you can show up. My dad is on your far right. My uncle is on the left, his older brother. And this is, and my dad would say, this was our best clothes. Uh, that we used to wear. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have much. They came from a real lack, and my uncle uh, went 
put himself through school, put himself through law school, became a very prominent attorney in Georgia. Um, he, he didn't know the Lord. Uh, he never gave any evidence during his life of an... He was a good moral man. He was very friendly, very loving. I remember one time he came over here to uh, Birmingham. Um, it's a long story as well, but he came over here to Birmingham, and Kathy and I were headed down to New Orleans, and um, this is like in the middle 90s sometime, and we were going to go down for a little getaway, and my uncle came over to see my dad. I think my dad and mom were keeping their kids, and he was driving a brand new Lexus, and he said to me, hey, why don't you take your wife to New Orleans in the Lexus? I mean, he just gave me his car to drive down to New Orleans. I mean, and back then, you know, Lexus was, it was a big deal. We thought, yeah, I know, but we still, just a fancy Toyota, come on TV. Um, <laughs> anyway, we drove to New Orleans. He was, I, I, I love this man, but he didn't know the Lord. And then in the mid-90s, he got cancer. He got prostate cancer, which was ravaging his body. And um, I remember that my, my dad, my dad, again, is on your um, right, and then my uncle is in the green jacket on your left. Um, this is a family photo, one of the f uh, final ones they had taken before my grandmother died. Yeah, I know. The, the woman, for those of you who are looking at the woman of color in the picture and saying, well, I didn't know Pastor Bart had color in his family. Well, yeah, we do. Um, that was uh, a woman that uh, worked for my grandparents, but was family to them. And they, they invited Molly to every single family event. That's a side point. Anyway, my uncle had cancer. I went and saw him um, with my dad, and uh, I, he probably had three or four months to live. Shared the gospel with him, and he, he said this to me. It was so profound, I wrote it down. He was facing the end of his life. He had regret and uncertainty, and we presented the gospel to him, and he said this, I pray every night that God would take me, and I pray, because he was in such pain, and then he would say, and I pray not knowing if I'm accepted by him. Isn't that a horror to look at the end of your life, praying that God would take your life? We shared with the gospel again with him, but I don't know if it's because of his work in the law or whatever, but he just wasn't. He just couldn't turn the corner of faith. About three weeks later, after I visited him and my dad, uh, now, now remember, this is a key point to this story. My, uh, my dad was a pastor. Three of his, my uncle's nephews, are pastors. All of them had visited him. All of them uh, had shared faith with him. He had turned it away for all of us. About three weeks before, uh, after I was there, uh, my uncle had, um, he, he was going to have bottled water delivered. Um, you know, not just bottled, but the big cases. So a man brought the bottled water to him, and he said to my uncle, hey, you need to sign a three-month contract. And my uncle said, well, I don't think I can do that. And the guy said, well, why not? And he goes, well, I don't know if I'll be alive in three months. I think I'll be dead by then. And the man delivering water said to him, are you ready? Are you ready to face death? Now, I, I add this in, not because it's an important point of the sermon, uh, but this was a man of color as well. Only if you knew my uncle would this be a big deal. 
my uncle said, I don't know that I'm ready. The man delivering water led my uncle to the Lord, who died like two months after this. The pastor, the nephews, the theologically trained, not a shot. But the guy delivering water that day took a moment and said, are you ready to face death? That's the question, isn't it? You don't know where you are. I've been watching the Masters this week. I realize, no doubt in my life, I'm on the back nine. I don't know if I'm on hole 11 or 17, but I'm on the back nine. And here's the deal. You don't know where you stand as well. None of us do. But the question we have to ask on a day like this, we have to realize that we're broken. We have to realize that we can't fix ourselves, and we have to accept the truth that it's by grace we have been saved, through faith, not by works, but by faith. Not only that, but once you do, you receive an incredible, um, awesome victory in God that continues for the rest of your life. This is Steve Brown. Steve Brown uh, has been to our church and spoken before at a men's event. He's a, he does radio commentating, and uh, he, he tells a story about his daughter, Robin, who was um, in high school and had been signed up for an advanced placement English class of some sort. She came home after a couple of days, just broken down in tears, saying to her dad, you got to get me out of this class. I'm going to fail. I can't make it. I, I'm not going to survive. Please, dad, please, please, please get me out of this class. So Steve, being a good dad, said, yes, I'll go with you. We'll talk to the... He goes into the, uh, to the school, and he says to the head of the English department, um, basically, you got to get my daughter out of this class. She's very conscientious, and she, she's just breaking apart. In his own words, here's what happens. She, Steve says, she looked up the English teacher, and saw me standing there by my daughter and could tell that Robin was about to cry. There were some students standing around, and because the teacher didn't want Robin to be embarrassed, she dismissed the students. As soon as they left and the door was closed, Robin began to cry. I said, I'm here to get my daughter out of that English class. It's too difficult for her. The problem with my daughter is she's too conscientious, so can you please put her into a regular English class? The teacher said, Mr. Brown, I understand. Then she looked at Robin and said, Robin, I know how you feel. What if I promised you an A before you even started? Would you be willing to take the class? Steve goes on and says, my daughter's not dumb. <laughs> she started sniffling and said, well, I think I could do that. The teacher said, I'm going to give you an A for the class. You already have an A, now go to class. Steve says, the teacher explained that when she took the threat of the bad grade away, then Robin was free to do. That she actually got A's in all of her assignments in the class and would have earned an A anyway, but the threat of the failure was gone. That's the good news of the resurrection. The threat of the failure is gone. You have been declared right with God, A plus, no matter how you do. That 
is how amazing grace is. It almost sounds offensive, doesn't it? That Now, there's a lot of ways we could look at this. Like, should I go on sinning? Paul makes it clear. Heck no. Don't do it. That's not who you are. But at the same time, don't walk in a constant fear of failure in your life. Instead, walk in the victory that's been procured for you through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to close by telling you one more story. This is a story of a guy named Billy Moore. Billy Moore grew up in a tough city in Ohio in an impoverished family. He, was, uh, he got into drugs early, alcohol early. He, he, he struggled throughout life. He joined the army. He got married. He failed at all of it. He was just, he, he couldn't succeed. He had moved down to Georgia from Ohio when he was in the service, and that's where he was living. He was at a bar one night with a friend, and they were talking about how broke they were, and they were both high and drunk, and um, complaining about how they had no money. So his friend said to him, hey, I know this old man, uh, this guy who lives down the way from here, and the, the story is he doesn't trust banks, so he keeps all his money in a mattress in the house. Billy said, thought, that sounded good. So he went home, got his gun, went down to this man's house, broke in. Now, this man was 77 years old. Uh, he did keep a shotgun next to his bed. And when Billy Moore broke into this man's bedroom, the man pulled the trigger on the shotgun, which uh, went high and right, and missed Billy. Billy pulls out his gun, fires two shots, and kills the old man. Now, Billy's not a very bright criminal. He searched through the rest of the house. I think he got like $5,600 in total. Flees to his home, where within a couple of days, the police locate him and arrest him. Billy is uh, facing the death penalty because of his crime of committing murder. Billy's mother is a Christian. And she was living in Ohio, but she calls some friends of hers and says, hey, my son is in prison facing the death penalty. Would you go and see him? So these friends go down to see Billy, and they say to him, Jesus is willing to give you a fresh start and a new chance in life. Billy Billy looks at him, and he's like, he's in prison. He's facing the death penalty. And he says, you got to be kidding me. Don't you realize my situation here? I murdered an old grandfather. I'm charged with a death penalty case. My life is over. There's no new beginning for me. But they responded, no, you don't understand. Jesus Christ loves you so much. He wants to adopt you as his son. He wants to lift the burden of guilt off your shoulders. Jesus Christ loves you so much, he wants to find a way to make your life count. Billy said later that no one had ever told me that Jesus loved me. Nobody ever told me that Jesus had died for me. He says it was a love I could feel. It was a love I wanted. It was a love I needed. So Billy Moore, broken, guilty, in prison, says, God, if you want me, if you want to adopt me as your son, 
here I am. They pulled out an old bathtub in the prison, filled it with water. Billy got baptized in prison. Billy went to court, pleaded guilty, said, I, how can I tell you I didn't do it when I did? He was sentenced to death. But the criminal justice system, as you know, is very slow. And so it took some 16 or 17 years before the day finally rolled around. August 22nd of 1990 was the day he was scheduled to be executed. But Billy Moore had changed. He had changed so much that in prison, on death row, they gave him the name the Peacemaker. He changed so much that he actually changed the culture of death row. That what had been a horrible place became a place with some modicum of peace because of Billy. As he's facing the death penalty, his lawyers exhausted every appeal to the Supreme Court and to other places. And Lee Strobel, who wrote this article, said he was interviewing the lawyer. And he said to the lawyer, what was it like to call this guy who was facing death in just a few hours? The lawyer said, it was the strangest experience I've ever had. What happened? The lawyer said, we would call to console him, but he ended up consoling us. Billy would say things like, are you guys okay? How are you coping? I know this has got to be difficult for you. Can I pray for you? It's going to be okay. We were trying to reach out to him, and he was reaching out to us. Why? Because Billy Moore had met Jesus, and his life was transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. Seven hours before he was to be executed, something unbelievable happened. He was already in the cell for the death penalty and had already been shaved and uh, prepared, and the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles had an emergency meeting and did something that was so remarkable it made the front page of the New York Times. They paroled Billy Moore. The first time in Georgia history, and really maybe in the history of the United States, that we could find that a convicted, confessed murderer convicted of death, had received a parole from a pardon and parole board. Now, I don't know what you think about this story up until this point. Now, some of you may be like celebrating. This is so awesome that he got forgiven and he set free. And others of you are like, that is so unjust. I mean, it may be one thing where he wasn't put to death, but he should do prison for the rest of his life. I mean, he did kill a grandfather. What about their family? What about his grandkids? What about those who were left behind? You are Billy Moore. You may, oh, I never killed anyone. No, but in God's sight, you're just as guilty. You're just as bad. 
Because sin is sin and sin deserves death. It's the unbelievable grace of God that you've been made alive. And me too. And you may be here today facing brokenness and defeat. God's victory is still assured in your life. He still loves you. You may say, well, he, he forgave me that once when I got in, but does he continue? Yes, God's forgiveness is good for yesterday. God's forgiveness is good for today. And God's forgiveness is great for tomorrow. Billy Moore is now somewhere in his 70s, and you can find him probably on this Easter morning like he is every Sunday morning, ministering as a pastor in Rome, Georgia. Continued to serve out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes around speaking, maybe retired now. But it is the incredible grace of God that we've been forgiven. You can be forgiven too. If I were to share with you that a man took every wrong you'd ever done and put it on himself and went to die for you, would you believe me? Would you receive it? And then if the better news, if I told you that he, he not only died, but he rose from the dead in order that you too could be risen, both now and in the future, you'd be like, oh, that's Great news. And then if I went even further and said, his grace is so great that you're not only forgiven, but you will be forgiven. How? How can we walk away from that? So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus is the one who leads your life and forgives your sins, I want to encourage you to do that. It's not as hard as you think. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's almost like Billy Moore when he said, hey, God, if you want me, I'll sure, take me. And then God wants you to walk in grace and mercy and power for the rest of your life through his presence that indwells you. You can do that today. In your seat back in front of you is a connection card. Everyone, take a, take a connection card, please, right now. Grab one of those connection cards. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I, first of all, just put your name on it. Uh, we're not going to hassle you. There's a hassle-free guarantee. But we want to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, go ahead and you can put it on the card, this prayer request. But at the same time, maybe God is stirring something in your life that you want to, where you want to give yourself to him afresh and anew this morning. Maybe this is the first time you've ever said, I want Jesus to be the one who rules my life and forgives my sins. Put that on the card. We'd love to have an opportunity to pray with you and pray for you. If you'd like for us to contact you, we will. Or maybe you're here today and you're just in some sense of brokenness some sense of hurt, some sense of hopelessness. And I want to say to you today, this can be a day of victory. This can be a day of hope. This can be a day of restoration. This is Resurrection Sunday. 
because Jesus has risen from the dead, you too have been lifted up into life, both now and in the future. Just take a moment and put that on your card as well. We're going to take just a moment and fill those cards out. Today, the ushers are going to come and they're going to receive the offering. Just stay in your seats. They'll come by, pass the offering plates. Just put your card or your offering in it. There are a lot of different ways to give it fullness. This isn't about our, your money, though. This is about your heart. Give your heart to him. Worship him today. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He is the ancient of days who has forgiven you, who we get to walk in life with. Ushers, you can take those, take that up now.